these comms. That was fun and interesting. And thank you, Dave. Where's Dave? Oh, there you are. <laughs> hiding, hiding away. To the... <laughs> it's always awkward seeing yourself in the video, isn't it? <laughs> everyone else watching. Alright, uh, we're going to read today from 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, I'm actually only going to read bits of the passage. Um, and so I think your handouts have the full passage perhaps, maybe? Yeah. Or is it in two sections? Yep, okay, cool. Anyway, I'm going to read from verses 1 to 6 and then from verses 12 to 9. So, from verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. But you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now down to verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rather rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief, or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. First up, I have to say that I don't think I'm actually the most qualified person to speak on this topic. I can't really say that I myself have faced uh, a whole lot of suffering. I can think of perhaps a few bad incidents that I've experienced, but nothing completely life-shattering. I've been mugged once. I've been scammed once. We've had our home uh, robbed uh, in a break and enter once. I've kind of I've felt stressed to the point of losing my appetite during my HSC year. My mum and I were uh, trapped at a campsite surrounded by uh, fire once uh, when we were on a church camp. But we were saved by firefighters. I've been sick several times in my life, uh, but that's pretty normal. I've had plenty of relational difficulties with people, uh, but nothing really shattering either. But I've never had a critical illness or a significant injury or disability. I've never had a close loved one pass away. Never had parents who separated or left me. Never been so poor that I've had to skimp on meals or live on the streets. Never been the victim of violent crimes or abuse. And I've never suffered men uh, severe mental health issues, never suffered torture or beatings or persecution. But still, I think as a fellow human, 
just like everyone in this room, I think I'm at least a little bit qualified to speak on this topic because I have faced suffering to some degree. As long as we live, I think there is pretty much no avoiding suffering. Even if we haven't been through anything life-shattering ourselves yet, I'm, I'm pretty sure not a single person in this room has not suffered. Some of you actually may have even been through some pretty horrible stuff yourself, probably worse than the suffering that I've faced in my life, even though I'm probably a lot older than most of you. And that's exactly why I think we really have to deal with this topic. Our topic is, what if suffering could make sense? But I want to start by saying this, and Tom uh, did mention a little bit earlier, but I want to say that if you are hoping to hear me say that we can make sense of suffering, then I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I don't think I can really make that assertion. I'm not going to say that I've found the answer to all suffering and I've made sense of everything. Because in saying that, I would in some sense be saying that I can understand everything that you've been through. And that's just not true. I can't change the fact that you or anyone else around the world has suffered and experienced horrible things. And I'm not going to try to remedy those things because I simply can't do that. Nothing I say today can change the fact that you or others around the world have experienced these things. And nothing I say can help to prevent any suffering that will come either. But there is one thing that I think can be changed, and that is our attitude towards suffering. So what I'm hoping to do today is not give an answer, but to provide a little bit of perspective. So here's what we'll deal with today. Uh, we'll talk about two lies, about suffering, and three truths about suffering, and also um, an eternal perspective on suffering. So in the third point, I'm going to deal with the passage that we've just read. So first up, line number one. Our suffering is the direct result of our own sins. Christians don't believe in karma or anything like that. While it may be true that we sometimes suffer as a consequence of things that we've done, to think that suffering is always the direct result of our own sins is not only untrue, I think it's a very dangerous way to think. A guy who viciously assaults another is not necessarily going to get caught with his crime. That woman who got cancer isn't necessarily more horrible than other human beings. In fact, cancer often happens to some of the most seemingly innocent and loved people in the world. And the perpetrators of serious crimes often live ha happy and healthy lives. Often the perpetrators get away with horrible things while innocent people suffer tremendously. Just try to think for a moment how dangerous this kind of thinking can be. Can you imagine saying this to a person who just got cancer? Well, you must have done something really horrible to deserve this. God must be angry at you for something that you have done. Now, I've actually heard of people saying things like this, and I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if perhaps some people in this room think this way, or sometimes think this way. But even a cursory reading of the Bible would show us that even people who are faithful to God will face suffering. There's a whole book in the Bible uh, that is pretty much uh, dedicated to this topic. It's a book called Job, 
It's about a man who was very faithful to God, yet he lost everything in his life. His children, his possessions, and even his health. And his very unhelpful friends told him, you must have done something really wrong to make God so angry at you. Now, if you read the Psalms, which is another part of the Bible, which is full of poetry and songs, you'll find there that uh, there are plenty of faithful people who trust God deeply. These people are suffering tremendously. It's simply untrue that if we... Uh, that, sorry, it's simply untrue that we suffer directly for our particular sins, or simply because God is angry with us. And there's also the flip side of this way of thinking, and that's to say that those who are faithful to God or those who do a lot of good deeds will receive good things, which is also not true. Some of these faithful people actually receive some of the worst treatment and suffering known to mankind. Just look at the person of Jesus. He was completely innocent and yet he suffered an excruciating death by crucifixion. The second lie is God will take away the suffering of faithful people if they ask him. I've heard of someone saying to a sick woman once, God hasn't healed you because you're just not faithful enough. Now that woman afterwards spent years of her life wracked with guilt, thinking that she was just not good enough to ask God for anything. There are, in fact, plenty of churches um, around that teach these things, and it's part of a particular kind of teaching called the prosperity gospel. It basically goes like this. If you are faithful enough, then the floodgates of heaven will be opened and you will be showered with rich blessings. If you are faithful enough, then your faith will move mountains. You will be healed of your sicknesses. You will not suffer greatly and you will be rich and you'll lead a wonderful life full of God's favor. And while perhaps many of us would never believe something like this, I get the feeling that sometimes uh, even those who don't believe this will fall into this way of thinking sometimes. Thinking that God will simply grant the, the wishes of those who are faithful to him. Now can you perhaps think of a time when you thought something like this? I've been serving God faithfully for years now, so why am I still suffering? What's the point in living faithfully if this is what I get. But in the Bible, um, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 12, it's up on the screen. In order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now this is the Apostle Paul speaking, arguably one of the most faithful followers of Jesus Christ. And when he asked Paul to take away his suffering, he was denied. Instead, he was told, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now it seems that God had other plans. Plans that would actually include the continual suffering of Paul, his faithful servant. And if you look at Paul's life, you will see that he suffered tremendously, even though he devoted his whole life to God's work. In the end, suffering is not a simple thing that we can just understand or make sense of. But here are things that we can, some things that we can say about suffering, as we are shown in the Bible. So we'll look at three different truths. First one, 
Suffering affects everyone, both the faithful and the unfaithful. It doesn't matter how faithful you have been to God or how many good works you have done. That doesn't correlate to the amount of suffering you'll experience. Both the faithful and the unfaithful will receive good gifts from God, as it says in Matthew 5. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But also, the flip side is true too, because suffering actually occurs to both as well. No one in this world is exempt from suffering. But that also means that how much you suffer is not a sign of how righteous or unrighteous you are. The second truth. Suffering is often used by God to achieve good things. Suffering might seem absolutely senseless at times, and we ourselves probably can never really discern the purpose of it. But that doesn't mean that God can't use that suffering for good ends. No matter how bleak or horrible a situation may look at any time, in due time, great things can come out of hardship and suffering. So there are plenty of stories in the Bible which illustrate this, but the most obvious, again, is Jesus Christ, who suffered an excruciating death, but was raised back to life and brought salvation to those who trusted him. And the third one is, God still cares. So even if we actually can't make sense of the suffering in life, one conclusion that you absolutely can't reach from your reading of the Bible is that God does not care. There are people who believe that God created the world and then left it alone. And, that, and, and that's why there's suffering in the world, because God actually isn't even there intervening to help and save people. This is untrue. And it's seen most clearly, again, in the person of Jesus Christ. You can't look at Jesus and say and think that God doesn't care. You will never find another God in any other religion who is like him. One who in fact cares so much about humanity that he himself, that he would deny himself the comfort of heaven to suffer on earth with us and for us. If that isn't a sign that God cares, then I don't know what is. So that's two lies and three truths about suffering. Um, and now we're going to look at what um, 1 Peter chapter 4 says about suffering. I think this is a bit of a, an interesting one. Um, hopefully this will actually help us to gain a little bit of perspective um, on a very difficult topic which can't be covered in just a few short talks. So we'll have uh, a look at uh, yeah, 1 Peter chapter 4. When Peter wrote this letter, he was living in a time when uh, Christians were being persecuted heavily for their faith. And as uh, Rob mentioned a few weeks earlier, they were living under a particular Roman emperor called Nero who um, killed plenty of Christians uh, simply because they were Christians. So when Peter speaks about suffering here, he's actually talking about some pretty heavy stuff. And this suffering is actually causing some of these Christians to, to lose faith because they're asking, why is it, even, is it even worth living as a Christian? Now, I understand that our context is very different to that. But the main issue back then is the same issue today, actually. Whether it be due to physical suffering or persecution or illness or disabilities or copying abuse from others or even the shame of putting faith in Jesus. Christians back then and Christians today all face the temptation 
to abandon their faith in Jesus. Their world back then is actually not completely different to ours today. Many of their struggles were, in fact, uh, similar to what Christians go through today. Uh, Peter makes it clear that there are all kinds of temptations and pressures to do what is evil rather than what is good. So if you have a look at um, verses 3 and 4. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, all these carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. Now, I don't know um, about you, but I reckon this actually sounds a lot like what people go through today. Christians in Australia are still living in a place where they are tempted to give in and live just like everyone around them. I'm sure you know people who look down on Christians for living the way they do. So um, I think verse 4 is particularly accurate uh, as a description of how Christians are spoken of today. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. Now, in, in modern Australian society, it is seen as foolish to live a life of purity because Christian morals are just seen as outdated and useless. What Christians face today in modern society is actually uh, the pressure to give up the faith. It might not be from physical persecution, but it is suffering all the same. Pressure from friends and family, personal illnesses or mental health issues or whatever kind of suffering you can think of. Any of these modern forms of suffering can cause one person to give up their faith in Jesus, which is actually far worse. Just to give a little bit of perspective, let me explain. A wise person that I, that I know and respect once said, it's not the suffering of this life that is the worst thing that can happen to a person. Sin is the worst thing that can happen to a person. Because sin causes a break in our relationship with God and leads to judgment and eternal suffering. So the suffering that we face in this life is not the ultimate issue. Of course it's hard, but it's actually pointing to a deeper issue. It's a sign that something is deeply wrong with the world and with ourselves as well. A problem that we just can't fix ourselves. But like I said earlier, as we can't fix it ourselves, what has to happen that our attitude towards it just has to change. So in, in chapter 4, verse 1, uh, at the beginning of our passage today, it says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. If anyone could be said to have suffered unjustly, that person is Jesus. Jesus never actually did any wrong. And so when he was brutally tortured, stripped naked and shamed and hung up on a cross to be exposed to the elements and bleed to death, that could rightly be called unjust suffering. What could be the point of such senseless suffering towards someone who is completely innocent? If there was ever someone who could ask, why am I suffering like this, God? That person would be Jesus. But what was his attitude towards what he suffered? If we go further back in, uh, into the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 2, um, it says, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. 
he committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Now, Sam spoke about this message um, just a few weeks ago. And the context is that he was speaking to slaves, encouraging them to submit to their masters, even if they're cruel masters. The attitude that he wanted them to have was, entrust yourself to him who judges justly. Now, I used to study law, and I also look after the law students here at Credo. So I love the image of here, uh, here of entrusting yourself to a judge. You can do your best and perhaps spend heaps and heaps of money uh, hiring the best lawyers to argue your case, but still you will be in the hands of the judge. So you'd better hope that judge will favour your case. But Peter ensures that God is the ultimate judge and that he is fair and that he is just and that he is trustworthy. You can bet your life on him, is what Peter is saying. Again in chapter 4, today's passage, Peter uses this same idea of God as judge to comfort the believers, reminding them that those who abuse you and ridicule you for doing what is good will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. In other words, even if a Christian is ridiculed for the way that they live, it's not the judgment of people that it matters in the end. It's God who ultimately pronounces the final verdict on all our lives. And all human standards of judgment will become nothing in the end. Everyone will come before the judgment seat of God. We who are so prone to seek the approval of people have to remember this. Even if living a Christian life and doing good means being mocked and ridiculed, we still must keep Christ's attitude in mind at all times. For God is the one who will ultimately judge, and he is the one that we all have to answer to in the end. Not people, only God. Everyone will appear before his judgment seat, and no human judgment will mean a thing at that time. At the end uh, of our passage today, um, in verse 19, Peter concludes, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. God is the faithful creator, and he is also the good judge. He will not let his people suffer without seeing justice in the end. When we see Christ who suffered unjustly at the hands of his haters, despite being completely innocent, and when we see that he entrusted his fate to the hands of God and was raised to life as a result, then we can see that those who suffer while living for God will never be abandoned by him. So, even if suffering does not make sense in this life, and even if there seems to be no end to our suffering, that final day of judgment will be the day when it will all finally make sense. And what a great day that will be for those who entrust their lives to you. I'm going to invite Nicola up now, and she is going to um, pray for us. Nicola, what are you, what are you studying? Uh, currently I'm studying um, I'm French communication, uh, public relations and creative writing. I 
I'm looking at changing degrees, but nice. communication is the current state. Cool. Communication is right. Cool. I'll leave that to you.